everybody, this is Jeannie Faulkner, and you're listening to Common Sense Pregnancy, Parenting, and Politics, where we have smart conversations about pregnancy, parenting, prenatal care, our lives as women raising kids in a weird world. We talk about a lot of things, but this month, May, when mothers have the world's attention, I want to talk about the ways that motherhood and politics collide. And lately, that's what it seems like is happening. Women and mothers are colliding. We're butting heads. We're confronting the political status quo. We're looking at the hot, holy mess we see our country and world in right now, and we're saying enough is enough. It's time the girls and women, the mothers, the daughters, the sisters, cousins, aunties, grandmothers all over the world, that we take the reins and we drive this thing. And I think that's what we're seeing happen all over the country right now, with more women running for office and winning than ever before. It's thrilling to watch it happen. And, you know, as I tend to be focused on this kind of thing, it was a really nice surprise to me when I came upon a woman. Um, I, you know, I was scrolling and I saw um, this one woman who is totally ready to grab those reins. Um I found a campaign ad for Krish Vignaraja, who is running for governor of Maryland. And what caught my eye was that in the ad, she was breastfeeding her baby. Now, obviously, I wanted to talk to her, so I reached out and I invited her on the podcast. So that's who we'll be talking with um, this week about why Krish decided to run for office at you know this particular time of her life, the challenges she wants to tackle, and what she wants to change for women and parents. And I think that it's just fascinating that women are really stepping up. Now, before we get Krish on the phone, though, I want to wish all the mamas out there happy Mother's Day. I hope you all get, you know, cake and gifts, and I hope you get spoiled rotten. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I know some people say that we should be doing this every day. So why do we need a manufactured holiday just for moms? Well, because the thing is, we don't get cake and gifts or spoiled rotten every day, though we totally deserve it. Mostly every day. What we get is to do all the million things that we do, you know, as being moms, all the nose wiping and diaper changing and lunch packing glamour of it, all the things we do as moms, you know, all the things. I mentioned last week that if we got paid for it, we'd earn better than 67000 per year. We do a lot. But since we don't get paid for it, at least give us cake on Mother's Day, will ya? or ice cream, or whatever your thing is. It doesn't really matter how. Just, you know, make a fuss over the mamas in your life. Now, I mentioned last week also that May is going to have a very political focus, and Chris is going to cover that for us today. But I also want to send everyone on over to my favorite maternal health nonprofit, everymothercounts.org. And I want you to check out a whole bunch of new information about midwifery care in New York and about new legislation to make pregnancy and childbirth safer for every mother. I love this organization. And if you're still on the hunt for a meaningful Mother's Day gift, they have a really nice curated collection of lovely items. Uh, It's their Orange Rose collection, and the proceeds go directly towards reducing maternal mortality. So go check them out at everymothercounts.org. Also, Go check out the special series um, Renee Montaigne from NPR is reporting on about maternal mortality in the United States. She did a story today titled, For Every Woman Who Dies in Childbirth in the U.S., 70 More Come Close. 
Um, this, my friends, is why we need to combine politics and parenting, because the way things are in our country right now is putting too many mothers at risk. Okay, enough said. Let's get this week's guest on the line. Krish Vignaraja is the former policy director for the United States First Lady Michelle Obama and a declared Democratic candidate for Maryland's 2018 governor's race. Let's get her on the line. Hi, Krish. How are you? I am good. How are you? I am doing really well. You're in Maryland, right? I am. Absolutely, yep. I'm in Portland, Oregon, way over here. (laughs) But you're coming in crystal clear. I know. That's the modern wonder of technology. (laughs) And in the very, very, very far background, I hear a sweet little voice back there. Yes, that is uh, my daughter, Alana, who is 10 months old, um, incredibly vocal uh, from the minute she was born. Uh Uh, She clearly takes after, I suppose, both of her parents. Um, (laughs) But it's always one of those things where I know better than to ever try to compete with her uh, because she is, in my unbiased, humble view as a parent, um, a showstopper. (laughs) Oh, yeah. That's not not unbiased. That's (laughs) an absolute fact, I'm certain. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Krish, I read your really stellar job title um, right before I got you on the line. But my first question is this. Who are you and what do you do? Sure. So I am a gubernatorial candidate running uh, to be the next uh, governor, Democratic governor of Maryland at a time when we have a Republican governor in a two to one Democratic state. So what that means day to day is I am crisscrossing the great state of Maryland, um, reaching out to voters uh, who have traditionally been involved. But as much of what I've been doing is reaching out to folks who I want to um, get in the arena um, and get engaged. Uh, Because, you know, when I was at the White House was when we suffered uh, the devastating loss of, uh, you know, Donald Trump being elected. And part of that was the complacency of assuming that, you know, we elected Barack Hussein Obama, not just once, but twice, um, and that we were good. And so to the extent that I think we have now been shaken from that complacency, for me, it's about running a campaign that is inclusive, um, a big tent that brings together mothers, um, fathers, uh, students, um, immigrants, uh, women, women of color, um, really folks who I think all too often have felt like politics and politicians have left them behind. I agree. I agree. I'm glad to hear that you run in. Um, <laughs> Thank you. But you've given me a really, really good professional description. So now I need to know more about who you are and what you do. Sure. Yeah. Okay. When, when you're not running the when you're not running the race. Yeah. Um, so my most important job is um, being mom to my amazing uh, young daughter Alana who is now 10 months mm-hmm. old. Um, we selected a beautiful name. I, I hope you feel that's true too, um, Alana, because my husband is uh, Irish Catholic. Mm-hmm. So we were trying to find a name that had significance in both um, Gaelic as well as in Sanskrit. As you can probably imagine, not too many names that overlap between those not two. Not many. And uh, <laughs> so we, we, um, we narrowed it down to um, Amara and Alana. Uh, my husband's last name is O'Mara, 
So we felt like Amara O'Mara uh, was not fair unless she was going to be a game show hostess. Um, and we just, you know, we loved Alana. It also apparently turns out to have some significance in Hebrew as well, which was interesting to us because my husband and I actually met in oh. Israel. Um, yeah. That's, it sounds like there's a story there. So, uh, a little bit. So, um, so Colin and I actually overlapped at Oxford University in England for a year um, during our graduate studies. We lived about 1,500 feet apart from one another, had mutual friends, uh, went to some of the same events because we were both on Marshall scholarships to study there, and of course, never crossed paths. Fast forward a decade, and there was a foundation that took us to Israel on sort of a cultural awareness trip Um I guess you could sort of describe it as uh, birthright for non-Jewish folks. And um, we met um, over this one-week trip, and by the end of the week, we were planning our wedding. So we went back to Israel a year later, and that's actually where we got engaged. Wow. Yeah. That is that is a good story. You've got a good one. <laughs> Thanks. Um, so, yeah, so, you know, much of, um, much of my, uh, my day-to-day is, um, you know, kind of, navigating um, the nuances of, of being a new mom. Um, and it's been an amazing um, journey and adventure. Yeah. It's fun, right? Yeah. It's, it's, been ha- incredible. it's hard. It's hard, right? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah. Is it anything like you thought it would be? You know, it's funny because I do think that the one, um, you know, I feel like being pregnant is a lightning rod for unsolicited advice. Oh, yeah. Which was mostly helpful, right? Um, And so lots of people told me lots of different things of be prepared for this, that, and the other. The one common refrain that I have definitely uh, kept with me is this advice of um, enjoy every single moment of it because it will fly by. And though she's only 10 months, it really does feel like she just came back from the hospital with me yesterday. Yeah. And so I have absolutely relished every single moment. Um, I think, you know, uh, um, it, it has been remarkable how literally every day feels like a very different experience. And, um, you know, uh, it also reminds me of my time in the White House in the sense that the days are very long mm-hmm. and yet the weeks and the months just fly by. Yeah. <laughs> so... Um, that feels like an experience I have felt before. Um, but yeah, every, every single moment of it has been incredible. And you realize um, why parents take such joy and pleasure in the smallest little things. Yeah. Um, yesterday, uh, she put a finger up um, for one for the first time. <laughs> and, you know, it was just, it tickled me to no end. It was the best one um, of your life, wasn't it? Exactly. <laughs> I know. Isn't it fun? You know, they, they do say, you know, enjoy every minute of it. But then there are parts that are hard to enjoy. And I think that you have to flip that with just a little bit of just, you know, just stick with it. Just (laughs) grin and bear it for a short time and then you'll get to the good part again. Yeah. Well, I I appreciate you saying that because I will tell you that the hardest thing for us has been getting her to sleep through the night. Oh, yeah. And right. And, um, you know, every time... Um, someone says to me, oh, well, you know, my three-month-old started sleeping <laughs> through the night, uh, you know, and sleeps 12 hours a day. I'm like, Yeah, what? that never happened to me with any uh, of my kids ever. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Ever. Not well, one. Because, 
Okay. So, so, you know, and then there's some people who say, oh yeah, you know, my, my, my son started sleeping um, beautifully when he was 10 months. And of course, you know, when I hear this, when she was eight months, I'm like, oh, great. So there's an uh, end in sight. And of course she's now 10 months and it seems like she's actually sleeping less and less. And I'm just like, oh gosh, I don't know. And you know, the, the tough part is that we are trying sleep training. Um, we have two wonderful um, doting grandparents, mm-hmm. my parents, who are um, here. They are really what make um, this possible for us to try to juggle everything. But they just firmly do not believe in sleep yeah. training. And so it's just tough because, uh, you know, I feel like we're making progress and then all of a sudden they will just swoop into the room and pick her up. And then I feel like we're, you know, back to ground zero. Yeah. It's so hard. I know. <laughs> I get it. Yeah. I I think sometimes you just have to surrender and say, okay, mm-hmm. dang it. She's not a good sleeper, you know? Right. Yeah. And all of those right. people who are telling you that their child sleeps 10 and 12 yeah, you know what? They're going to be telling you the same lies when those kids are teenagers. <laughs> My child never did anything like that. Right, oh, right, right. Sure, they do. <laughs> You're yeah. just giving. Well, that's a hard to because I'm just like, are they just lucky or are they lying? And I don't know which it is. Well, it's probably a little of both. And you know, some kids <laughs> are sleepers and some just aren't. They just yeah, aren't. Yeah. 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 Dang well, it. Yeah. And, and Alana <laughs> just has, um, she just has fear of missing out syndrome. Well, who doesn't, you know? And all the good <laughs> stuff happens after mom and dad go to sleep right. or after the kids go to sleep. Yeah. Right, right. Well, I want to talk more about your campaign. It came to my attention because you didn't add where you were breastfeeding. And then mm-hmm. I saw another candidate, and I can't remember for what um, race, was doing the same. And believe me, that is new. That's very fresh. Yeah. I love that about you. Tell me about this. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So, you know, um, anyone on my campaign um, knows that, uh, you know, when when um, Alana needs to eat, which happens regularly, mm-hmm. uh, I have no qualms with um, making sure she is a well-fed baby. Yeah. Uh, as I said, my most important responsibility at the moment is making sure that, you know, she's um, uh, raised in a loving, um, healthy, uh, fashion. And so, you know, I, I know there are some folks who are squeamish about this and I know that, you know, for some parents, um, breastfeeding is not, um, you know, the alternative that they choose, or it's not an option. And I'm very respectful of how each person wants to raise their child. But for me, just as the ad features, um, me, reading to my daughter and playing with my daughter. Um, I didn't want to hide another aspect of motherhood, which is me nursing my daughter. But I also, you know, the, the, the main point of the ad was to stress that right now I'm the only woman running against eight men at a time when in Maryland, out of 14 federal and statewide offices, so that's eight congressmen, two senators, and the four statewide officials, there is not a single woman in any of those positions. And it matters because it means that, you know, we um, are, uh, you know, less represented when it comes to childcare subsidies or healthcare or elder care or, um, you know, the minimum wage or any of these issues that affect women. And so what I tried to capture was an ad that was authentic to me and to my voice. And I think in 2018, we've got to own the fact uh, that we are women um, and that we are moms, and that that is what 
uh, we bring to the table in terms of, in part, a unique perspective that is based on those roles that we play. You are a badass. <laughs> You're sweet. And, you know, the fact that you can you can campaign and and be in the position of, you know, having your advertise, you know, having the cameras on you and you can breastfeed mm-hmm. at the same time, double badass. You're sweet. Well, I, I will tell you that um, if, if you see what parents, right, um, especially, you know, moms out there do in terms of juggling work, raising families, um, taking care of households, uh, sometimes taking care of um, other family members, you realize that if you want to see our elected officials do what they need to do in terms of multitasking and representing the day-to-day, you know, struggles and uh, kind of nature of our lives, it's got to be about also having more of us in elected office. And the other part of the ad stresses that it's not just about representation, right? It is actually about outcomes because we have seen in study after study, in state after state, in country after country, when women are in leadership positions, you get better mm-hmm. outcomes. And that's, I think, um, another uh, important piece of, of what the ad um, tries to stress. And I think that's hopefully in part why I think it bra- it broke through a lot of the noise right now. There's just, you know, a lot of people who are so disillusioned with politics and the direction we are headed in. And I think part of what I tried to stress is the authenticity of uh, the Obamas was, I think, in part why people tuned in, especially people who had never tuned in before. And I think that if we're going to return to um, having our electeds be more representative of the people who they're intending to represent. It's got to be about people being more honest um, and real. Yeah, I agree with you. You know, the representation piece is critically important to me. But Mm -hmm. I think that in addition to that, I think that women, um, you know, for a long time, we have tried to achieve gender equity by acting and thinking like men. And that hasn't worked Mm -hmm. out because we don't act or think like men. We're thinking about things in an entirely different way. And I really think that once we have had gender equity, you know, on, on the Hill um, and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, in States, when we've Mm -hmm. had that for 25 years, this is going to be an entirely different country. There aren't going to be, you know, children who are going to school hungry at lousy Mm -hmm. schools. There aren't going to be overrun prisons. There's not, you know, it's going to be a different world when women, when women take the reins. Right. And this is where, yeah. you know, I um I gave a speech uh, during the hood commencement where I talked about the fact that, you know, imagine if the next 45 presidents were women or imagine if the next 950 out of the next thousand Nobel Prize winners were women. And mm-hmm. that is jarring to some people. Right. And and it's you know, it, it is it, it catches your eye. I mean, you realize that that possibility seems ludicrous. It's insane. But the truth right. is that that is our past just with the, yeah. the shoe on the other foot, right? And yeah. so when you think about the fact that 22 states in our nation have still never had a uh, female governor, that the Democratic Party has never had a woman of color be governor, while the Republican Party has had two. Um, the mm-hmm. fact that if you take Maryland, but uh, you know, I told you the zero out of 14 here on Maryland, which is absurd. But if you mm-hmm pan out and you include Virginia, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, and Maryland at a 66 
federal and statewide positions. There's only two women, and both of those women who are in office are Republicans. You realize that a population of about 15 million women has not a single Democratic woman representing them. Which is why issues that are so integral to our lives are so far-flung concepts to the men who are representing us. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. They think that you know, women's issues, and I put that in quotes, are a side table thing mm-hmm. that we'll get to eventually. They really aren't all that big a deal. Yeah. But actually, they are the fabric of our lives. Exactly. This yeah. is what yeah. we're made of as yeah. as women, as couples, as families, as communities, as the country. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. And this is where, you know, um, when, when I was working with Secretary Clinton, as well as with Michelle Obama, um, many of our initiatives stress the fact that if you invest in women, mm-hmm. you're investing in families, you're investing in communities, you're investing in countries in yeah. a way that you can't make a smarter investment in any right. other way, shape, or form. Right. My day job is that I um, I write and podcast for CARE, the Global Humanitarian Organization. Oh, fantastic. Yes. And you know the entire concept of that is invest in women. They'll get the mm-hmm. job done. And then they'll get the job done for their families, their communities, exactly. and the world at large. Exactly. You know, we're all saying the same thing. And I think that we're at this moment in history where people are listening all of a sudden. And it's, you know, me too and time's up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I mean, and this is where, you know, look, I um, I rolled out a sexual harassment and violence policy before uh, the winter holidays and- I realize that part of what we need to make sure is that, you know, it is so uh, phenomenal to hear the, the confidence, the solidarity that is leading to survivors um, stepping up and speaking out. We also need to make sure that we put in place the safeguards and the solutions so that we're not having the same conversation in 10 or 20 years. And part of what I fear is, you know, it's, it's a dynamic that we see when it comes to mass shootings, which is there is the outrage and the anger. And then that subsides and we return to the same old, same old. And I just think that, you know, to your point, um, I, I believe we are coming to that moment where we can finally build a, a movement, um, particularly of women who've said enough is enough. And we are going to course correct and change um, the arc of history because if we don't, things like November 2016 will happen again. And I, and I just think that um, uh, people are awoken in a way that I've never seen before. I want to talk about your, you know, your, campaign, your campaign platform and why you run. But I'm wondering, you know, just th- the, the concept of you know, where we are right now. We're mm-hmm. at this point where our major focus is to quit causing harm. You know, quit violence against women. Quit, you know, excluding women. We're we're at this point of damage control. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, what will it be like when <clears throat> damage is controlled yeah. and we're on the next phase, which is growth yeah. and thriving? Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, it, it's a great question. And I, I think it is a great point. I mean, part of what I want to make sure that uh, you know, my administration is doing is 80% of it has to be offense, because I feel like time and time again, we get, uh, you know, flat footed um, or we're, you know, kind of fighting back on our heels. And I just think that um, we aren't going to leapfrog in the way that we need to, unless we are bold and ambitious, but also um, pragmatic about it, you know, and this is where sometimes people would say, oh, well, Hillary Clinton, she was a real Debbie Downer. 
um, you know, compared to some of the, uh, you know, soaring rhetoric um, of her competitors. And this is where I just think that what is so refreshing about women running for office is that there is a honesty about how we approach these issues that is very counter to what politicians oftentimes do, which is overpromise, underdeliver. Um, right. I often say this, and I feel like I've gotten this in part from uh, you know working for um, some of the most wonderful, uh, passionate, committed public servants um, in the world. But I always try to underpromise, overdeliver, because that is how you renew people's faith. Um, and I just, you know, my, my family struggled when we first came to this country. Um, my parents came, no jobs, uh, just two hundred dollars in their pockets, two very, very young kids in their arms, and we were given some basic opportunities, but it was never easy. Um, you know, we would live paycheck to paycheck uh, mm-hmm. with no room for error. And I was one of those families whose parents uh, heard so many promises from politicians. And yet, you know, there was always this suggestion that help was on the way and you never saw it come. And I just think that um, what is amazing about um, seeing the change in the voices we are now hearing are, are, are people who felt that struggle, who know what we're fighting for mm-hmm. um, and who are concrete about how we're actually going to deliver some real results. So what are the issues that made you decide to run? Yeah, um, you know, there are a range of them. Um, but in particular, having worked in the White House, um, we were focused on four main initiatives um, in the East Wing. Uh, two were focused on education, um, making sure more of our kids got into two and four-year colleges, um, making sure, so that was retire, uh, let girls learn, which was about getting girls to complete their middle and high school educations, joining forces, which was about supporting veterans and their families, and then let's move, which was um, about raising our children with healthier, more active lifestyles. Mm-hmm. All those issues should have been bipartisan or nonpartisan. And yet you saw because of petty politics the incoming administration decided to, you know, essentially do away with or ignore some real progress that we had made through all those initiatives. And that's where I just realized that we have to start putting in place people who, who get that, who are above the political fray, who are sick of the infighting and the finger pointing and who just want to get in there and get things done. So, so in particular, um, my campaign has been focused on education revitalizing our economy, protecting our environment, and supporting working families, Um, but on the range of issues. The first policy I announced was guaranteeing three months of paid family leave um, and making Maryland the first state to institute that, knowing that America is the only developed democracy in the world that doesn't allow for parents uh, to have that, which means we put parents in the position of having to choose between taking care of their child and putting food on the table. Um, but we have you know, worked on a range of issues, including the environment, um, but also, as, as you mentioned, uh, the Me Too and Time's Up movement as well. So was there – I'm imagining the moment when you said, you know what? I'm going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> what, what happened right before that moment? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, it was um, – <laughs> what happened a, a little before that was um, I had my daughter. Yeah. And I remember when some folks started approaching me about running for office. I was very pregnant. And I will tell you that when they first talked to me about it, and uh, they actually kind of were referring to it in this third person, you know, I just need to convince, they basically said, none of the folks that are in the field or who we've been vetting can beat Larry Hogan. 
we just found our candidate who can. We just have to wait until she delivers her baby to convince her to <laughs> jump into the race. And hand to heart, it was so far off my radar that I thought to myself, because people had talked to me about running for office for something. I thought, oh, there's another pregnant woman who's thinking about running for office. How curious. And then I realized that they were talking about me and that they were going to try to convince me to run for governor. And part of the problem of women is honestly, sometimes we just assume we're not prepared, right? That we need to do this, that, and the other before we throw our hat in the ring. And I realized that while when I looked down, though I couldn't see my own feet, what I could see was a daily reminder of the generations uh, that we are fighting for. And that was incredibly important to me, knowing that four decades later, our children are struggling in the same ways that I did growing up. And I just think that we need to, um, you know, recognize our greatest legacy will be the world that we give to our our next generation, our children. Um, And I realized that no one was going to fight for it, um, you know, better than uh, folks like us who have, you know, been less involved um, in the elected side of of politics. Um, And I realized that there were important issues that I deeply care about that, um, you know, people weren't looking out for the people who should be looked out for. Um, Education is, you know, far and away the top issue for me in the sense that I'm the only candidate in the field who's the product of Maryland public schools from kindergarten through 12th grade. Um, I wouldn't have gone from Woodlawn High, which most people only know because of the serial podcast, Um, but I wouldn't have gone from Woodlawn High to the White House except for the basic public school education I got here in Maryland. So you didn't think that you were qualified to run for governor? You were policy director for Michelle Obama. (laughs) Seriously, did you have that imposter syndrome too? (laughs) <laughs> well, it was less, um, you know, I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. I, uh, you know, I have always been my harshest critic. And, um, you know, every now and again, you, you do have the doubt of, in particular for me, it was, can I juggle being a new mom and also uh, being a, a candidate and actually running um, the state of Maryland? And, uh, you know, I also know I get questions more than any of the other guys in the field in terms of, well, what is your executive experience? You know, how how can you run now? Why shouldn't you be running for, you know, um, board of board of education or right. county council or something like that? And women get it over and over again, right? Our qualifications are always challenged um, more than other guys in the field who frankly either have the same or less qualifications right. um, than us. Right. And um, this is where uh it has been so heartening to see voters who have actually said to me, you're overqualified for this job. Why aren't you running for president? And I'm like, oh my gosh, no, stop. I'm definitely not taking that, um, you know, uh, that big step. But yeah, um, <laughs> you're busy well, this no, year. Really, you have a baby. Really. You're going to, you're going to be the governor of Maryland. You got time. You're only what? You're not even 40, are you? I, I'm not. I'm, yeah. um, I'm 38. So the same age as Nikki Haley when she got elected governor there you go. Um, in South Carolina. Yep. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's it is it is one of those things where um, I say to sometimes I say to uh, particularly women sometimes, look, you shouldn't use the barometer of are you 110 percent confident? Because the truth is we oftentimes um, uh we 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 tr- we we are too harsh on ourselves. Yeah, and um, I actually remember 
there was a Soul Cycle class that I was in um, with Michelle Obama, where the instructor said, um, "You're enough. You've got this." And it was actually at a time when I was thinking to myself about, you know, potentially running for some sort of office, and it stuck with me because it was so simple. But it spoke to me in a way that we need to repeat it to ourselves sometimes because we forget. And even on the campaign trail, uh, when I come off the debate stage, I am by far my harshest mm-hmm. critic. And so I will always think back about what I should have done better. And it has been interesting because we have data from these debates. We can actually see how well we've done, mm-hmm. right? And um, literally every single debate, except for the very first debate, I have won. But it has actually been very helpful for me to see the outside you know, numerical numbers, because, you know, sometimes um, even I need that external validation. Yeah. Do you have a tribe of people that are waiting for you when you come off the trail to say, you're enough, you got this? <laughs> so um, it is, uh, I mean, my campaign staff is amazing because, of course, uh, they will be like, oh, that was fantastic. And I'm just like, you guys don't need to coddle me, really. I'm fine. I'm an adult. Um, but then, of course, they gloat when they see the the, the results come in. Because they're just like, you're an idiot. <laughs> you, yeah. you you blew it. You blew everyone out of the water. And I'm just like, huh, I did. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Let them cuddle you, will you? You're going to need it. <laughs> That's a fair point. Fair enough. Yeah. You're going to need all the support and cuddling you can get because you're a woman running for office. And, you know, they're going <laughs> to- well- they need yeah, to and I, and I will that. say, especially after the first campaign ad, it was funny to see uh, the fan mail and mm-hmm. the man mail um, because right. I definitely did get some guys who said, look, if you can't take time to uh, find a bathroom or, you know, to go in private, um, if you're going to be nursing, then you should drop out of the race. And I was just like, what in the world? Where is this coming from? But you realize that, you know, we still have, uh, you know, some battles to, to fight and win. And I don't mean to pick on men exclusively because I've, you know, I had a woman who is um, a supporter of mine who over the winter holidays got a mailer where she saw that I had a daughter. And I had called her um, the day after the Golden Globes because I remember vividly how, you know, riding on on cloud nine I was after Oprah's really empowering speech. And she said to me, I didn't realize you had a daughter. I think you should drop out and take care of your daughter. Hmm. And I was stunned into silence for a moment. And I said, you know, I am taking care of my daughter by doing my small part to help make the world that she Uh, lives in better than the one she was born into. Um, And, you know, and then I said, oh, by the way, you know, maybe you should ask about what my schedule looks like, because I actually am lucky that I'm able to spend more time with her than if I had to go back to a nine to five uh, job after two months. And by the way, maybe you should ask about the village that, um, you know, helps uh, me raise her because I have an amazing family structure. And then she responded with say, you know, and she said, well, I may be old school, but I just think you should, you know, be at home with your daughter and you should just stay home. And I, and well, that's I, the thing, old school. Yeah. It's time for them to graduate yeah. and, you know, go somewhere else. <laughs> we need an entirely new thought process yeah. about who women are, what we do and what we can get done. And yes, while we're breastfeeding, if necessary, yeah, exactly. there, there isn't anything we can't do yeah. and we have to quit putting women in silos. Yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. Now you're a mommy, so do that now, Kay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. No, right. we're going to do it all. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. Well, and this is yeah. where, you know, um, the, 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 the three um, simple words that always stick with me are something that actually come up often, um, which is particularly women, 
who I've never met before um, or who are good friends who will just say to me, go get it. And I think it is such a um, wonderful, positive, uplifting message, but it also speaks to this truth, which is no one's going to hand it to us. Right. You have to ask for it. You have to believe you're going to get it and then you have to move towards it. Exactly. Yeah. How proud are you of Senator Tammy Duckworth? Oh, I'm amazed. I am. Um, I'm so inspired uh, by by everything that she has been doing, um, has done. She has been a you know pioneer, real trailblazer. I think it is incredibly unfortunate um, when I saw the news about how they were uh, not allowing her um, to take her baby um, onto the the Senate floor. Um, I just think that you know you saw uh, the viral. Uh, f- I guess it was a photo from. Um, the Australian, I believe, or maybe it was New Zealand parliamentarian. Um, you've seen, uh, you know, presidents, prime ministers um, n- nursing while delivering nationwide, um, you know, addresses. And yeah. you realize that we are backwards in some ways. So far backwards. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> that may have been a British understatement. Exactly. In terms of, you know, anything having to do with maternal health or new parenting or anything like that, we're way back there. Everybody else is doing yeah. better than we are. Yeah, yeah. I know. Well, and, and this is where you just realize that having more women in positions of leadership is what will change that. Um, you know, there's a, a small anecdote, but I, I didn't realize how <laughs> potent the signals are that you subtly get um, until I uh, I actually went up to Yale um, law school to give the keynote at this women um, in leadership conference a couple months ago. And I had, um, you know, pumped on the way up and I was just asking if there was a refrigerator or even if I could just get an ice mm-hmm. bag. And um, they were incredibly kind. They said, oh, here's the keys to the lactation room. And I said, oh, I had no idea, though I went to, um, you know, I was a student at Yale Law. I didn't realize, of course, because I was not pregnant at that time, um, that they had that. And I walk into this room and it's it's bright and it's warm and there are flowers and there's couches and um, it was so welcoming in a way that I've never experienced before because I'm used to, in some cases, literally crouching in yeah. a corner of a hotel or a restaurant because there's no plug point right. in the bathroom and you're just trying to find a little bit of privacy, right, to do a very basic biological thing. And that subtle signal that you need to create a makeshift, make do, um, you know, situation because uh, the circumstance doesn't um, accommodate you is such a potent signal. Yeah. When I saw the other extreme of something that said what you're doing is normal, and we are going to accommodate you. It just, it, it, um, it, it really, it made me, it made me cry. Yeah. Isn't it amazing? Yeah. I remember, um, having this experience when I had my newborn who was born at the beginning of December. And so when Mm -hmm. she was just a couple weeks old, I had to take, I had to go Christmas shopping. And Mm -hmm. you know, at that point when you've got this brand new baby, just trying to figure out how to put your pants on is a major (laughs) thing. So I had to, figure out how do you go to the shopping center to go shopping? And I guess mm-hmm. I had some sort of befuddled look on my face. And a, a woman who was you know, probably in her mid-30s came up to me and said, um, is she brand new? Just so you know, when you need to nurse her, you're going to want to go to the Nordstrom bathroom. Their lounge is lovely. 
And I cried. Oh, really? I really cried. Yeah. It's like, oh my God, that's information I really yeah. needed. And you were nice to me. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Well, this is where, you know, and I know um, apparently BWI, I haven't actually seen these yet, but they now have these pods so that you can, um, you know, find uh, some privacy and comfort um, if you need to, you know, um, pump, yeah. uh, nurse um, before you hop on a plane. And I'm used to just finding a bathroom. I'm so lucky if there's a plug point yeah. in there. Um, and I'm standing there, uh, you know, trying to navigate the making sure the bottles remain sanitized as the the line is going past because they're waiting to go into the bathroom. And, and you just realize that um, uh, these, these um, you know, quote unquote, small things to some people are why it makes the difference between who designs these situations, who tries to accommodate, um, you know, kind of our uh, daily life. And, and that's where I just think that um, you yeah. see the difference uh, between cultures and societies um, who empower and embrace women and ones who um, overlook them. And in 25 years of women being in charge, we're going to have mm-hmm. plug points everywhere and couches in every <laughs> lounge. There's, it's going to be lovely. <laughs> Exactly. Well, I I was about to say, it's going to be that and so many more um, improvements (laughs) across the board. As as you said, education, less incarceration rates, better transportation systems, cleaner air, safer drinking water. So All of it, because those are the things that are truly important in life. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Well, you and I only have a couple more minutes together, but I like to round out my interview with these last two questions. Mm -hmm. How would you fill in the blank? Nobody ever told me that. Mm. Um, nobody ever told me that I could become governor or become a senator or become president. And I think that some of the tacit biases that we see um, are in part why we are where we are. Um, I remember Senator Mikulski said to me, uh, some people will say to you what they said to me, which was, you don't look the part, to which you respond, well, this is what the part looks like. And I just think that we need to recognize that we hold ourselves back when we don't realize that any one of us can play any given role. Um, And we need to reiterate that time and time again, because it is the truth and it is something that, you know, we need to see happen, um, not just tomorrow, but today. That's a perfect answer. I love that. Yeah. (laughs) So my last question for you then is, where are you in your life as a mom? Mm, um, Growing. (laughs) Um, You know, it is one of those things where I, uh, I, I am so inspired um, every day. And uh, I am hungry um, to make this world a better place uh, because of my daughter and her generation. And this is where I realized that becoming a mom um, was such a life-changing experience, not just in the sense of, uh, you know, kind of understanding what it is to to care uh, for someone who is essentially you, um, but what it also means in terms of that broader responsibility of of being a citizen um, and making sure that I do my part uh, when it comes to creating a world that I am proud 
um, to give to her and to her generation. And that's where, you know, you see these different groups that have been especially active today um, in terms of, you know, Moms Demand Action, for example. And you realize why moms band together um, and they just get it done. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I just I I think it is so exciting to see um, women, um, mothers realizing that there is a powerful voice that they have that not just raises the next generation, but makes this world a better place. And I hope that we don't ever lose sight of that. I hope we never get shy. I hope we speak out. Um, and continue to fight the injustices, the imbalances, the inequities, because if we don't do it, um, if we don't stand together, uh, no one will. Darn right. (laughs) Darn right. You're crushing it, Krish. I really hope that you totally succeed in your race. I think it'd be great to have a woman like you in office. Oh, you're sweet. Um, Gina, I really appreciate you having me on. Thank you for everything that you have been doing, because I know that you are truly juggling it all. Um, And I really, I I appreciate everyone out there um, listening. Um, If you want to learn more about the campaign, if you want to help us, uh, just go to www.krishformaryland.com. And anything that anyone out there can do to help to spread the word, um, you know, donate small dollars, big dollars, they all help. And really what we are trying to fight for is to fight for all of us. And let's make sure that Maryland... um citizens and voters know exactly when to vote. Yep. So June 26th is the primary. Please make sure that you are a registered Democrat before then, because we do have closed primary here, primaries here, which is unfortunate, but, um, you know, we'd, we'd love everyone's support. Great. All right. Chris, it's been a pleasure. So much fun talking to you. Thanks so much. Look forward to coming back on in the future. Great. Bye-bye. Bye. Our guest today was Krish Vignaraja, and you can learn more about her at Krish, with a K, for Maryland.com. You can learn more about me at JeanFaulkner.com. Tweet me at JeanFaulkner. Email me, Jean at JeanFaulkner. Find Common Sense Pregnancy, Parenting, and Politics over on Instagram, and please, oh, please, buy a copy of my book, will ya? Common Sense Pregnancy. It's everywhere. Common Sense Pregnancy, Parenting, and Politics is produced by Alex Ward at Sounds Like Pictures. Happy Mother's Day, everybody, and thanks for listening. Talk next week, y'all. Bye.